Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey everyone, it's Yas here and I'm calling today with a little favour to ask. Over the recent weeks and months, I've had loads of you get in touch with some great questions and today I'm going to be trying something new with the show. I'm trialling a Q&A segment where I'll be joined by a co-host and elite coach educator, Gerard Jones. Now, these are discussions which are going to be taking place every Sunday evening at 7.30 GMT, live on Twitter space, if you wanted to get involved directly. Otherwise, I'll be releasing them here every Wednesday on the Coaches Network podcast. So for today's format, it's slightly different, and for around about 30 minutes, each discussion will be dedicated to a question that has been sent in, where myself and Joe will be going into some real depth and sharing our views and opinions on the topic in order to leave you with some key takeaways to consider in your own environments. So the favour I'm asking for today, guys, is if you can let me know your thoughts on the new format and you can do this by getting in touch on Twitter at The Coaches Net. Once again, that is at The Coaches Net. And of course, if you have a question, feel free to send that in too. Hope you enjoy the new format. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. Hey, guys, you're now listening to The Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent and personal development. My name's Coach Yas and I'm a UEFA licensed football coach coach developer and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons, and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. Obviously, we've been doing these series over the last few months. The most current series is one around developing a game model. We've looked at what a game model is. We've looked at how players influence it. We've looked at, you know, what to consider when developing your game model. Now here, we're looking at scaling your game model across different formats of the game and whether that actually maintains a thread, whether it actually influences change based on the players and the environment, the age group you're in, or whether that we should even be consistent throughout it at all. So where are your thoughts with this straight away? Yeah, and I think you've hit the nail on the head. And, and obviously this is part of a wider series, as you mentioned. Can't wait for our webinar next week and we'll talk about that towards the end tonight but you know I think you're right in that there's got to be this consistent language that's my first thought there is that what is the consistent language what is the the framework that golden thread that runs throughout each team throughout the club and effectively it creates the identity as well as the idea of how we want to play what makes us who we are and it's really important that there, there is that consistency because Ultimately, you know, if you're trying to develop key messages and develop players to be able to solve problems and be able to understand the game and develop their confidence with and without the ball, but also to play intelligently and develop that game intelligence and that understanding, then the vocabulary is key. Why? Because if we're using certain terms, so for example, in our clubs, we talk a lot about breaking lines. Well, what does that look like? Um, you know, and uh, I think the breaking lines piece is, is huge. Um, can everyone else hear me okay? I just want to double check that. I can get a thumbs up. Can you hear me, Jared? Yeah, can you hear me or no? Can you hear me? Oh, it looks like a few people can hear me. 
maybe I don't know if it's on your end or. What I'll do is I'll start again just in case anyone did miss that. Yaz, can you hear this okay? Yaz, can you hear this okay? Yaz, can you hear me okay? Can everyone else hear me? Just give us a thumbs up if you can hear me. Just want to make sure I'm... I'm not talking quietly. Perfect. All right. There's a few thumbs up, so I'll keep going. Um, so, yeah, I think the, the thread is key because it's, it's the language piece, right? So I talked about how in our club we talk a lot about as sporting and a few different roles I've been in, breaking lines. What does that look like? We talk about playing forward, looking forward. Um, that intention around dominating possession. Now, obviously, it's important that we have an understanding of what that looks like at each stage and age and format. And I think with, with certain age groups and certain coaches, I'll give an example. Years ago, I was a head of coaching of a Category 1-3 club in England, pro club, EFL. And I remember watching the training session and we're trying to develop players within our game model, if you like, and our principles. And at this club, the coach came up to me before the session and he said, and this is a good one, Yaz, and this is under-16s, right? So you're preparing them. It's the top end of youth development phase. There'll be players in there that are getting ready for, you know, scholarships and get, and looking for, you know, under-18s. And obviously you're trying to think of where the group are going in relation to the first team. Obviously this is the is in the professional game, but I think the, the reality relates across the board in that... The messages have to be right. So this coach said to me before the game, uh, sorry, before the training session, hey, gee, you're going to love it tonight. I'm working on counter-pressing. I was like, oh, cool, okay. So talk me through some of the things. He says, yeah, we're going to, we've been working on it for the past six weeks around our principles and counter-pressing when we lose a ball, bum, bum, bum. You're going to love it. Okay, great. As I'm watching the session, I'm going, I'm not seeing much counter-pressing going on. Um, and as I'm watching it, I'm going, and it's probably on me as well. I should have clarified what, just to make sure you know, are we talking the same language here? So as I'm watching the session, I've actually gone up and that particular night, and I told this a lot, this story, that particular night, it's the under-16s leading it. He's also the youth development phase lead, and he assisted with the under-18s. He had the lead under-18s coach down there and the lead PDP coach for that phase. He had me as the head of coaching. He also had the academy director down, and coincidentally of that night... Um, the assistant manager who was uh, with the first team was down as well. He was just down just showing his face. So we, I used it as a talking opportunity. I said, hey, if I could ask you, what's your definition of counter-pressing? And you're going to laugh, but every one of us, bearing in mind we're full-time members of staff, every one of us had a different definition. So my first thing was, God, if we can't even be on the same page, what chance have the players got? And that's assistant manager, head of coaching, academy manager, Lead PDP, YDP, right? Under-18s coach, under-16s coach. So there's a lot of individuals there. So if we can't be clear in what we're looking at, how can we assess players' progress? How can we assess, you know, where they're at and what's good, what good looks like? Just because of what was going on, and I was going, well, this isn't counter-pressing for me. Counter-pressing for me is this. And sometimes we can get over-thingy and we can over-exaggerate the words, can't we? As we spoke about that on many podcasts where, 
sometimes certain terminologies we're reinventing the wheel but I want to use that as an example because it's really important that if certain coaches talk about play rounds right and I use that term a lot play round you know but somebody else calls it something else it could even be the same term, but we mean different things. Or something else, but we mean different things. So it's really important to develop that consistency in the language, ultimately, because the language brings our game to life. And that's where, for me, you know, and you hit the nail on the head, Yaz, when you said, you know, um, what do I think in age and stage? Well, ultimately, if we're looking at developing our players to be in control of possession, intelligently dominate... Well, at certain age groups, that will look different. You know, I'm watching our U14s today at one of the games, and the centre-back's got the ball. And there's times where me, I was like, oh, you're getting high-pressed. We've just regained it. Play back to the keeper. I never said this, but in my mind, I'm thinking the best option might be pass it back to the keeper now, and then we, we play wide and we build. The player had a better solution than I did, Yaz. But in line with our sort of model, if you like, she's found a way. She dribbled it forward. She was stepping into midfield and, and dribbling sometimes loads of touches. Um, but you can imagine the creativity is there. And as she's doing that, you know, one of our principles in our game model is rotation and balance. So as she's gone in, somebody else dropped in. The number six dropped in and filled. Great. Good. She had a better solution than I did. You know, now at other age groups, that might look different. It might look similar. That's 11 v 11, and at 7 v 7, there'll be different types of things, and we have to encourage that, you know, we know there's a lot of transition at the younger ages. That's how they're figuring the game out. So that's why I think, and I'm excited to get your thoughts as the conversation grows, is, you know, when we're looking at what that model looks like or those principles up and down the, the sort of player journey, if you like, it's important to recognise, one, the language, so we're aligned, and two, where are the players at along that journey? You know, what does it reflect what their game looks like? Because then the demands of what we're expecting, are they aligned with that or not, as the case may be? There's my initial couple of thoughts. Yeah, there's a lot there. And, um, you know, just to be conscious that I missed a little bit of it because of my, my sound cut out. But I think the first thing that kind of really jumps out at me, you're talking there about, you know, the age stage you know, some key things that you want in your game model, obviously the creativity coming from the players. And it just it just it just makes me think about you know, the game itself, it's um there's no definitives, right? But there's a lot of probability in my opinion. There's a lot of things that, you know, marry up with themselves in terms of right. If you look at different actions, they're often coupled with specific second actions and specific third actions if that you know i'm not sure if i'm making my making sense there but there's almost patterns and there's almost you know reoccurring um sequences that exist within the game right and it's just looking at well what does that look like across the different game in terms of how does it look at 11 v 11 how does it look at potentially 10 v uh, 10 v 10 9 v 9 7 v 7 5 v 5 and it's not to say specific just to the age and stage but also just the competition and the the ability of the players, right? Because maybe at a more of an entry level grassroots game, if you like, of eleven v eleven, you might not see many crosses, you might not see many dribbles, you might see more long balls or attempts for long balls. Whereas as the game progresses in terms of competency and people get more advanced in their ability to play, 
you might see less and less of that, but maybe more selective moments when that does, does occur, right? So it's just now in line with what the opposition are doing or there's certain moments, there's certain triggers that they might pick up on. Whereas initially, they're not even maybe looking for those things. There's probably no consideration for those things in the first place. And then obviously, as you go down the scale of the spectrum of age groups, so if you go down to maybe, let's just say, a 7v7 game where you might see under-8s and under-9s potentially playing, then you're, then you're almost in a situation where, well, actually, what technical components exist in that game? What what you know what patterns of play actually exist in that game? You know, do you really see crossing, or do you just see an overhit, an overhit pass, an overhit sh- or or a misguided mix up of a shot and a pass from the wide areas, rather than an intentional cross, if that makes sense? And obviously, then you've got to start thinking about with the modern day, you know, the removal of things like heading the ball. How does that actually influence it? If actually, you know, when you go to a first team or when you're going to eleven v eleven. And you're now really focused on getting as more crosses in the air and attacking the ball in the air and having more dominance in the aerial battles. That if you can't actually head at the ball, how does that how is that now influence your game model in terms of the lower age groups leading into that? So those are where my initial thoughts go, and just starting to think about can we as coaches start to think right? What are the patterns that exist? What are the sequences that that you know that these actions are coupled and married up with? Um, where on the pitch do some of these patterns occur? And you know, I always go back to thinking about those what if moments. Well, what happens if that doesn't exist? So you know, coming back to your example about that player there using her creative, you know, using their creativity to kind of explore the situation in a different way. Yes, it wasn't aligned to the patterns that you've kind of created, but fundamentally, does it really matter if they've achieved the outcome that we were looking for on the back end of it? And I think this is where we need to kind of maybe be a bit more open and not so fixated on what the game model actually is, but look at, you know, and we'll obviously unpack this in our webinar on Tuesday around the webinar, sorry, around the game model itself being a a framework for the players to operate within um, rather than a model specifically. So I think, you know, it's maybe just challenging the terminology and the semantics of is it a game model or is it a framework of the game that we want the players to work within? So those those are just some initial thoughts on what you said there. I'm not sure where that mind take, where that takes your mind and where that. Well, I think I think you're bang on because, but again, we've got maybe and there'll be people listening that have got a shared view, right? Where we're looking at going, can it be flexibility within a framework? So it's less of a, you know, this is the only way and this is fixed, but players can operate within that and and operate in their own genius, if you like. Like they can they can solve problems and coaches as well. You know they've got the freedom to like what it can look so different at different ages at different times because the game is so unpredictable. I love that quote from when Arteta the other day was talking to Arsenal. He's like, I get up at six o'clock and I do this and the school route and it blocks the roads. So I've got to go this road and he was on about how there was I can't remember the number if it was thirty something or forty something different formations in a game. You know that he counted or whatever. But ultimately, what he was saying was it is like it's unpredictable. And, you know, there'll be coaches that maybe use a, a model and they are probably quite fixed and that's their belief. And it might be more where they change in response to the opposition. You know, I remember having, um, not to name drop, but we, had, we were lucky under my old boss, Oshan, we had Patrick Vieira presented on the pro licence and he was one of the, the speakers and um, basically he was coming in and, he was talking about his experiences and obviously coaches he's coached against and coaches that he's seen, observed and spoken to. And 
played under and for him like his own belief and some of the managers he's had like Wenger and what have you and then comparing Mourinho and he was saying there are some coaches where they they're worried more about the opposition than themselves and their model if you like will change their identity and the way in which they play will change based on who they're playing whereas he's more of let them worry about us and if you look at Klopp as well, there'll be some analysis. And the analysis only goes so far at the higher end because you're trying to identify trends and habits. But ultimately, things change. You know, if, what if the lineup is different? What if the referee's having a day and he's pulled out some great decisions or not, you know, as the case may be? There could be decisions that are going against you and how that influences the game and that influences your, the way the players are having to to respond so there's so many uncontrollables that ultimately like you listen to Klopp and it's very much and you can see it now with De Zerbe at Brighton um, I love listening to the new coach at Tottenham as well speak and you know these guys are talking about well this is how we play and we want to win we want to win with style um, but we want to play within this way and we recognise that it's important to have an identity but it can change based on what the players see and feel, you know, and things, and it's trying to develop that unpredictability. And then I think that's where it goes. There's probably two things we need to talk about, really, just quickly, is one, try not to impose um, a set of views on the game that are like premature professionalism. So just because we see De Zerbe do Brighton and what have doesn't mean that that's how we need to get our U8 playing or whatever. I think ultimately we've got to realise, well, what's the context and what's the environment we're working in and their journey? You know, and ultimately, I mean, if we were to say it as a snapshot, at least this is what we say, I don't know, you know, it'd be great to get your thoughts and people listening, is I think U8 under, over here in the States, is 4v4, 3v3. So we, we pretty much talk about, and there's no goalie, so we talk about attack together, defend together, and that's it. Now, obviously, we want to break lines. We want to do this and that. But that isn't happening, you know. The kids are going to bunch up. And that's part of learning as well. I think parents who say spread out and things like that, yes, we want them to recognise space. But they also learn a lot through chaos. So it'd almost be like if we if we over-jump the steps, it'd be like walking up the stairs and trying to do three, four, five steps at a time. You might get away with doing a big step and you go two steps. Maybe you can do three, but if you do that at a sustained rate, quick, quickly, you're probably going to trip over yourself and fall down the stairs. And it's the same thing with the kids, you know. So we've got to go at their pace. So with the youngest ages, it's go and score as many goals as you can. Dribble your way out of trouble. Don't make pass become the default. Go and enjoy the ball. Attack together. Defend together. Then as, as they're starting to start to understand space and, the figuring stuff out and dealing with that, going from that transition to, you know, a goalkeeper, offsides, um, because again, over in the US, it's different everywhere, but we have to go 7v7, goalkeeper, offsides. Some states have a build-up line, some don't, where there's that retreat where you have to get behind it until the ball's released and then you can press high. So the model there, the framework changes again. Because now you've got so many different factors in. You've got, to, you've got to keep a shape whilst encouraging freedom. You want the teams to still attack, defend, you know, together. 
but it's still they're still pretty much individual, but they're starting to figure out the team. And it's only as the cerebrally get and technically and physically get more developed, you can start to include other concepts. You know, can the kids physically hit it that far? You talked about heading. The kids can't head the ball. So that changes things. So how do you deal with it? You know, because if they head it over here, it's an indirect, or if it touches the head, it's an indirect free kick to the opposition. So how does that affect you, you know, in terms of how you want to play? So, but then you've got to play catch-up because from 12, 13 onwards, you can head the ball. So how does that introduce things? You know, we talk a lot about some, uh, short, quick free kicks and short corners, mainly because physically... One, they can't head it, and two, they can't necessarily reach all the time that far to just put a ball in. What's more effective? And you're more likely to concede on your corner than you are to score on your attacking corner on transition. So can we keep possession? That's part of our framework. So we'll work around strategies, whether it's a quick one and it's disguised, or whether it's a, a sort of routine, if you like. But again, building short. And then as they get older physically more developed, they can head the ball. There's other strategies in play. Now you can maybe talk about when we go direct, when we go short and different other routines, you know, and I think, like you mentioned a word before, patterns, and it's a wrestle that I'm having with coaches. I'd love to get your thoughts on it because I'm hearing a lot of coaches talking about, I hate the word drill, but designing these drills, really we're talking about activities, to help the players get better at something, Right. And what they're doing, though, is they're like, hey, how do we develop these patterns? So my right back gets the ball and then he immediately passes to this player who could be the seven or it could be this or that. My problem with that is if we focus too much on these idealistic patterns or a technical model that's shaped by the coach, the danger can become then is that the players aren't responsive to the information that they they see within the environment. What happens if we're playing... Joe's team or yours team or Emma's team and they're like actually we coach them on principles and we're not playing off those patterns so the kids are more they actually recognize triggers better and they'll press you in a certain way because we want to hunt and we want to hunt together and press high and your way of going out with building out of the back well what happens after the second or third phase then what so we've won the ball or equally on the other side if you teach them a pattern of pressing well then what what if the opposition don't do that? What if they break your press? Then what? Where do you recover to? So that's where I think coaches, if you get too fixated on this model and this idealistic way of playing or a pattern, you could also put trip yourself up because ultimately the game has to have that freedom of players being able to, to judge things, right? And that we need to get them, put them in positions where they can judge things better. Sorry, I saw you had your hand up. I don't want you to lose your thought. Yeah, no, just you, you kind of you know touched on it in that last point that you made there, and it was just that it's all you know. I think it's really important to identify right. The, the, you know, there's patterns that we want and there's patterns that occur. I think many coaches, you know, you got to get you start to think about right. Yeah, you might want the ball to go into your centre back and then to your full back and then wherever wherever else it may you may want it to go. But actually, like you've just hit the nail on the head there, Gerard. Well, how much of your coaching, how much of your exp, you know your 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 insight that you're sharing, how much of the you know detail you're going into is actually considering well, what would the opposition do if we did this, and what would happen if the opposition didn't do that, you know, and obviously you know 
you know things have changed over over the years, but you know that that would be fun to me. What what I would refer to as the what if moments, right? What would happen if that didn't occur? Do you have a plan A? This is what we this is what we're going after. But actually, if this doesn't occur, this is what happens next. And it's interesting. I was having a conversation with a coach just just yesterday about this and talking that we can have a plan A. We can have our what we're going after, but how well are we explaining to players and sharing with players and developing their understanding of when it goes from a plan A to a plan B to a plan C? Or actually, in some cases, how well are we going into the detail of actually it's going to go from plan A, we're going to skip straight past plan B and go straight to plan C on this one. And it might not even be quote-unquote plan A, B or C. It might just be actually this is what we're going to do because this is what's going to happen. And there might not be any other hierarchy beyond that. Uh, you understand, like, consequences, haven't you? Every choice has a consequence. There's always a trade-off. And, like, I'll give an example of one of the games I'm watching today. So, to your point, the coach is so worried about their quick number. And rightly so, that's part of game management. So, we're playing in a game, they're 2-0 up, and they're worried about the quick forward. Um, and don't get me wrong, this forward is dangerous on the break. But we're so worried about that forward. One of the strategies the coaches talked about is it almost looked like we we're playing with a sweeper. I was like, "Whoa, what's going on here?" I know we have a back four, but it doesn't look like that now. And this player was just so one of our centre backs. The distances between the units was getting bigger and bigger. And every time we we're in the final third, you know, the coach isn't looking off the ball, and the seat, the defence is sat too deep or the walking. I'm trying to say, "Hey, we need to get up, give a chance to the keeper to manage that." But one of the, the players was just so fixated on dropping a little too deep, really, to a little bit deeper, just to afford that consequence. But then I think that could be a strategy. But ultimately, how can we develop the players to, to your point? And one of the things I said was, because they got through so many times, I could see the writing on the wall, they're going to score it. I was like, just play in the future. Think about the what if. And recognise, like, one of the players who was typically a ball player who's the one who was sending the, the ball through, how can we do a better job of shot, shutting off that player? But equally, can we read that pass going in? So how can you adjust your position to be able to read that pass so that you don't have to be as deep? You might be able to step in and intercept. And actually, by stepping up, you're asking better questions of that number nine or seven because they're going to have to adjust their body shape. They're going to have to adjust right because they're offside. So what do they do then? Unless they, you know, so... I think the language you used there, Yaz, was great of how can we play in the future? Think about the what if. So how does that affect you now? And, and then you're developing players. But again, that's, what does that look like at each age? Um, Yaz, we have got a good question just come through. So great question, McGrevy. So I have a question. After scoring a goal, my U13 team always seemed to lose momentum. How can we mentally train the boys? Their performance is always excellent before the 1-0. I think that's a really good one. I don't know if you, if you want to answer that first before me, but let me know your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I, I, just, I just saw that question come through as well. I think it's more... <sighs> reinforcing how, you know, some, some of the key things in terms of what got them success in the first place and getting them to identify and understand how how, how did it quote-unquote go wrong, right? Um, what Why have you taken your foot off the gas? What allowed you to get the success in the first place? Because fundamentally, this is the other thing. Again, it's interesting. I was having this conversation with a coach yesterday and said, 
Now, how are you measuring the success of your players and how how are your players understanding whether they're actually getting success as well? And it's, oh, because I can see them doing what I want. And it's like, yeah, I get that. But how how, how much of it is conscious? How often are you checking and challenging whether the players are actually aware of what they're doing? Because just because they've made a certain pass, they've combined in a certain way, they may not actually realise that's happening in the moment. You might actually have to bring it to their attention just so that they can understand how important it is and impactful it was to do it in the way that they've just done it. And I think that piece is so important. So, you know, for me, it's just just reinforcing the key messages and what allowed them to get the success in the first place and where the momentum has dropped give them a clear before and after picture so you might take you might just gather you know some data as an example well you know before the one nil it might be let's just say a, a period of 15 minutes before and 15 minutes after there might be you know I'm not, I'm not saying it's easy to gather gather data but there is ways you can do it it might just be you know there was more forward passes before the one nil rather than after the one nil there was um more passes being um strung together before the one nil rather than after the one nil and things like that right so it's just little little bit of insight a little bit of data that you might be able to gather and and, and you know provide for the players so they can really understand the fundamental differences from before and after in their performances that's where my mind's going with it. Anyway, I'm not sure what your thoughts are, Jared. No, I think you bang on. And also, like, it could be that, is there a trend that the opposition are changing the shape? So maybe something's happening within the game and that's having an effect. So are they are they predicting what we're doing and at any level? And they're, they're finding clever ways to exploit it because that happens a lot. I see that a lot where, I, I know I said it even today in some games where, Teams are cruising, the one nil up or the two nil up, and then all of a sudden they concede, and they've not. The coach doesn't recognise that the opposition have changed the shape. They've gone to a three-five-two, and they've changed even how they're playing compared to the first half. So that's why it's important to to note take. But a couple of things I was going to say was, you know, one could it be the warm up? Because the warm up has a huge impact on things, um, and and how you're arriving into the game. You know, and sometimes you might have to change that. I think the intentionality behind how we play, and what I mean by that, I'll give one example, right? So we don't spend too long on it. Linking it back to the game model. Um, what about kickoffs? So when we kick off, are we playing backwards or are we playing forwards? Because that has a huge impact, you know. So if we if, typically most teams on a kickoff when they start the game. Um, they'll they'll pass backwards and they're inviting that pressure, and that could start us off. You know, we might be like, yeah, we're, we're playing well here initially, and then all of a sudden we drop off. You know, was the question. Well, perhaps it started by how we started that game. So even though we perceive ourselves as playing well, but actually we're inviting them and we're passing a lot backwards, which is putting us under pressure. You know, on kickoffs, can we play forward? Can we run forward straight off the bat? So we're putting them psychologically on the back foot maybe even leads to a corner and, you know, they're defending a corner in the first minute or so of the game or they're defending an attack. So, you know, and then obviously if it's going longer and you haven't conceded, there's no kick-off then. Well, could it be that on every kick, every free kick or every opportunity, we're looking to play forward? So that intentionality around your game model can have a huge impact. Whereas if there's moments in the game where we're, we're looking to, to go backwards or invite the press too much, Perhaps that's why we're, we're putting ourselves in positions where we're losing it. And on transition, that team are getting it back and they're, they're capitalising. 
And again, it comes back to how do you want to play, doesn't it, Yaz? You know, how do you want to play on these type of moments? I've seen games where we've dominated so much, you know, and uh, I'm sure we've all seen this. We've got an attacking corner. We've been at him, we're at him. We've hardly had a chance. But, you know, we've played, we're missed kick on a corner or poor setup. We're not set up to deal with the transition defensively. And we've conceded. Or it could be even in open play. You're attacking, you're dominating possession. And one of the players is on the ball. All they have to do is play the through ball forward into a player. Instead, they take extra touches. They lose the ball. Defensive transition. Now we're out of shape. The other team are counter-attacking offensively. Transition. Bang, goal. But we were dominating for the game. You know, so it's where in your game model do you talk about defensive transition? What that looks like when you lose the ball. What habits, use the word earlier he has, what habits are we encouraging players to have? What are our non-negotiables? And that's where I think, you know, things will look different up and down the scale, but ultimately there's got to be these non-negotiables that exist throughout, where when we lose the ball, we, are, we react like this, you know? Um, I don't have any thoughts on that. And then, you know, it'd be great to, to see how this relates to anybody else, you know, their experiences. No, I, th- I think you're spot on, Jay. I think you know fundamentally the key message from what you've just said there is how flexible can you be? How well are you, how, you know, but but you know how deliberate and intentional are your players, and how deliberate and intentional are the decisions they're making? How conscious and conscious and aware of the of the variables in the game around them, right? Um, in recognizing that, yes, this might be the way we want to play, but then are the Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.
there you have it guys another episode of the coaches network podcast where our aim is to bring the world of athlete talent and personal development together to just one platform and you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favorite episodes with everyone that you can think of you can tag us in those mentions as well on instagram at the coaches network or on twitter at the coaches net we look forward to hearing from you let us know what you thought about today's episode and until next time guys take care